0: For our Peace Bucket, we're joined by Joe Gerson, who is the president of the Campaign for Peace, Disarmament, and Common Security. I noticed that Joe and the uh, campaign had recently been involved in a statement, letter of support with uh, solidarity for people in Russia who were uh, expressing opposition to the invasion, the war with uh, Ukraine. Joe, why don't you talk a little bit about Statement and why groups felt it was important to issue it. So, so several of us who were
1: veterans of the Vietnam era peace movement, uh, but also uh, peace efforts uh, during the Afghan and, and Iraq wars. I mean, we some many of us were jailed. We we you know we, we suffered uh, uh, even as we as we worked for peace, and so we could easily identify uh, with the Russians who have been opposing the war either those who have remained inside Russia uh, at, at considerable risk, some of whom we're in touch with, and you know as many as 500,000 who have uh, fled the country uh, rather than be conscripted in, in places such as Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, tough places. So we wanted to express our solidarity with them, but also call for negotiations because the war has to end uh, if the killing is to stop and if we're to have something approaching a just peace.
0: Now, I've seen a couple of headlines recently that President Biden may actually you know, be uh, you know, trying to persuade the uh, Ukrainians that perhaps this is a time to, to start some negotiations. How, how, where is the Biden administration on the issue of negotiations?
1: Well, I think it's playing a um, subtle game. Uh, the commitment is clearly to weaken Russia. Uh, and to provide as, as much support as it can to to Ukraine, at the same time, it's aware uh, that uh, uncritical support for the war is weakening. Uh, that especially in Europe, it's going to be a tough winter with lack of energy and heat. And so, I think uh, he and and now Zelensky are in the process of signaling, at least a degree of openness to negotiations, which they both essentially refused. Uh, and much, I think, is going to depend on the outcome uh, of what we're seeing as, as preparations for a really huge and potentially decisive battle uh, in Kyrgyzstan uh, in, in southern Ukraine.
0: Now, there was a fair amount of media coverage early on after the invasion where there was a significant amount of public uh, opposition in, in Russia to to the invasion. And that opposition was quickly trampled down, I guess. Um, where is the sort of peace movement uh, in Russia at this point? How can they operate within the confines of that society?
1: It's extremely difficult. Uh, with with a, a friend of mine who's a physicist in St. Petersburg, uh, we, he, he was willing to translate our statement and, and distribute it. Uh, but, you know, the reality is that people are facing serious jail terms, uh, there was a recent frontline television uh, documentary uh, which focused on a number of journalists who were opposed to the war. Uh, and in the end, in the last uh, what six weeks, almost everyone featured in the film has had to flee. You know, Russia is is a, to say it's authoritarian is probably an understatement. Uh, Putin has used the war to really clamp down uh, on, on resistance. I mean, early on, uh, the first day of the war, uh, a million Russians signed a statement uh, condemning the war, and calling for those who had uh, initiated to be tried as as uh, war criminals. Well, they've, they've had to kind of duck for cover now.
0: You know, I also saw a headline this morning from Climate News um, related to some energy company making some deals with Russia. But the point that they were making was that apparently countries outside of outside of the United States and Europe really sort of view this whole situation differently, particularly countries, say, from Asia and Africa, you know what are people's you know different perspectives about uh, the invasion? Um, you know from these different countries.
1: So I think there's at least two elements here. One, a number of countries in the global South you know, are looking at something like you know American hypocrisy. I mean, here in the United States, you know, as Biden you know, calls for enforcing the rules-based order, you know, we easily forget the invasions of Afghanistan uh, and um, and Iraq. And the work the United States has done to um, really overthrow governments, Uh, so the rest of the world is aware of this, and it makes makes many of them hesitant to kind of fully support the United States. The other is that countries pursue what they governments pursue what they perceive to be their interests. Uh, So India, for example, has been uh, enjoying the the cheap oil uh, from from Russia. Uh, It also is uh, heavily dependent on. Uh, Russian uh, parts and weapons for its military, so it's it's attempted to kind of play a, a neutral role in all this. Interestingly, um, you know, there's been a lot of criticism of China uh, for its support of of of, of, uh, of Putin and the Russian invasion, but the reality is that uh, China has been much more cautious uh, than we can read in, in the U.S. press, not wanting to fully alienate the United States or its European trading partners.
0: So so back to the issue of um, negotiations and, and this statement, what can be done, um, you know, with the Biden administration or Congress at this point? I actually understand there were some Congress people had initially drafted, you know, a letter calling for negotiations, but then sort of backed away from it.
1: Right. So I was involved on the margins with a, a, a letter signed by a number of members of Congress initiated by Congresswoman Jayapal uh, from the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Uh, That letter uh, praised the Biden administration for its support uh, of of Ukraine, including the massive transfer of weapons, Uh, but it also called for um, making uh, pressing for negotiations a a priority. Uh, It was begun in the summer uh, and it grew to get 30 30 signatures, what, 10 days ago or so. Um, Some members of since then, I mean, the, the, the nature of the war has changed. The Ukrainians have been a bit more on the offensive of late, and I think some of the members of Congress who had not been kept apprised of the uh, plans for releasing it uh, felt that they were were caught out. Uh, Nancy Pelosi apparently made very very heavy threats against those who had signed it, uh, and so Paul in a rather humiliating uh, process, uh, withdrew the letter. Interestingly, I spoke with at least one congressional staffer who worked for one of the, the members of of Congress who, who who held on to his commitment for the the call for for negotiations um uh, saying that uh Biden actually hadn't opposed the letter uh that the opposition actually came more from um uh from from uh, Pelosi and some members of Congress who were concerned uh, that their signatures being released just before the congressional elections that might negatively impact them
0: well, since the congressional elections took place on, on November 8th and maybe a while before we determine whether the Republicans take control of one House or even uh, both Houses, now that the elections are, are passed at us, will that in any way impact upon you know, what the United States is doing in terms of continuing to support and supply weapons to the Ukraine? So
1: what we're expecting is that um, uh, Republicans, especially if they When control of the House uh, will at least reduce uh, the financial support for uh, weaponry and other support for for Ukraine. Uh, How much so, we don't know. Uh, And so there's discussions about the possibility of the Biden administration and Democrats in lame duck sessions coming up uh, to pass a a gargantuan um, uh, allocation for for weapons and support to Ukraine, maybe as much as 50 billion dollars. So so we'll have to see how that, that plays out. Um, you know, there may be more. You know, the Battle of Kyrgyzstan will be taking place soon. We'll be moving into winter. Uh, and I think the, the changes here and there will open the way for greater pressure toward a negotiated settlement. Uh, but there's no guarantees. And, and if we don't press, it may not happen.
0: So in the last 40 seconds or so, what can or should the peace movement be doing right now with respect to the Ukraine situation?
1: I think needs to, in, in any way it can, from letters to the editor to sitting in members of Congress's office, uh, calling for the United States to back a ceasefire uh, and and negotiations. One thing that's being discussed in Europe is the possibility of a Christmas truce, uh, sort of modeled after the World War One Christmas truce, and that could provide a, a foundation uh, for extending a ceasefire uh, and creating the, the the environment for negotiations.
0: Get a website.
1: Uh, Yes, cpdcs.org. That's C-P-D-C-S, as in Campaign for Peace, Disarmament, and Common Security.org.
0: And we've been talking with uh, Joe Gerson, the president of the campaign, and this has been Mark Dunley for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine.